This week's episode is sponsored by Mixers. As we talk about in today's episode, sometimes we have bad days. And as women, we might have a bad time of the month. So many of our obnoxious negatives surrounding our period might bring along with it mood swings, period-related acne, cramps, bloating, excessive bleeding, crazy cravings. Those are all symptoms that can be treated and done away with with proper nutrition. So that's where Mixers comes into place. Mixers is a drink supplement that is tasty and delicious. One of the mixers is called Her Time. It's a super power supplement that helps you take back your time of the month. Doctors and experts have created a synergistic blend of ingredients that nourish your body and balance your hormone levels. Most importantly, it manages estrogen, progesterone levels while reducing inflammation and bloating. Each woman that comes here has great power and it's time to take back your life, period. So we are happy to provide our listeners with a 10% off code, which you will find in our show notes. And our code for 10% off is mixers-danas. Again, that's mixers, M-I-X-H-E-R-S-D-A-N-A-S. And that will provide you with 10% off of your order. Take back your life, your mood, your day, period. We're your hosts, Dana and Kara, and this is From the Mouths of Babes. All right, welcome back everyone to another episode. We are thrilled to have our friend Jolene Hibbs Peppers with us, and um, I'll share a little bit about how Um, I know her and a little bit of her background, but first, um, Jolene is a mother of four. She is a farmer and an entrepreneur and a fearless advocate of light, truth, and joy. And she is always so honest and upfront about how she is continually rediscovering who she is and how that goes beyond being just a wife and a mother that she's always trying to better herself. And that's why we're really excited to have her on this episode and particularly to discuss, um, this topic. Um, I will say with the theme that we've covered in our last several episodes, um, we've talked a lot about how as parents, it's our responsibility to be fearless communicators and how we instill confidence in our children, um, and confidence in our belief systems when we are fearless communicators, Um, When we recognize our own emotions, when we try to understand those emotions and therefore try to help our children understand those emotions as well. And so today we're going to be covering a really sensitive topic, um, which is suicide. And unfortunately, that is part of Jolene's story. Um, But we are going to talk a little bit about that and... um, This month has been uh, suicide prevention and suicide awareness. And so it's really timely that we've been able to have this conversation with Jolene uh, and we'll share some resources and different things in our show notes, ways that you can connect with Jolene to hear more about her story, but I'll just share a little bit of background. So many of you know that we're members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 
And um, we have the opportunity as young adults, if we want to, to go and serve a volunteer mission where we go and talk to people about our beliefs um, centered around Jesus Christ. And so I had the opportunity when I turned 19 years old to go and I was assigned um, the, the mission of the Alabama Birmingham mission. And so in one of the areas that I served in, I actually um, got to cross paths with Jolene and um, I got to teach her children. And that was a big blessing in my life and just an association that I have cherished and enjoyed this friendship. And in March of 2019, um, that's when I heard that Jolene's son, Abram, who was 14 at the time, had died from suicide. So we're going to be talking a little bit about Jolene's journey and this sad epidemic that has really increased over the last several years. I mean, I think it's always been a problem, but sadly we've been seeing it um, more in our youth today. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. So thank you, Jolene, for joining us and for sharing, being willing to share your story and um, be vulnerable. I know this cannot be easy. So we really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you inviting me and um, getting the story out there. I feel it's important to always be honest with ourselves about who we are and what part we've played in all of it. And uh, I feel Abram's story is important. Yeah, absolutely. So right off the bat, I want to talk about the vocabulary surrounding suicide. Ah. Um, For most people, I think we have grown up using the vernacular that someone committed suicide. Right. Um, But recently there has been a shift and a change in practice of people saying died by suicide. I'm curious what your thoughts and feelings are about this change. I think it's a personal thing. I am a member in a few support groups Mm -hmm. for survivors of suicide, um, which you would think means you've tried to commit suicide and survived, but it's really for those of us who've been left behind by those who have died by suicide. Mm -hmm. And in these groups, every week, there's an argument over, over this topic. And some people feel that it means committed. I mean, when you say committed, there are two things that that come to mind that you have been committed for mental health or that you committed a crime. Right. And so it, a lot of people feel very threatened, I think, and feel very like their loved ones did not do something wrong so it shouldn't be used that term shouldn't be used sure for myself um words are important but at the same time i I personally just try to find where somebody else is and speak to them in a way that will reach them and so whenever i'm trying to speak to anyone about it i just try to find where they are um to me it doesn't i'm not offended i'm not I don't feel like it means any more or less than what actually happened, as I'm sure we'll get into what actually happened was, was there are no words. So 
So using terms like this, for me, it does not affect how I feel about the person speaking. For example, right after Abram died, I went somewhere and I ran into somebody that I knew who told me, hey, I heard that if you're praying, when you do something like that, then you don't have to go to hell. Those types of things bother me way more than anybody saying, oh, did he commit suicide? Or, you know, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, but I always want to be sensitive to others and where they're coming from. So if it's bothersome to them, I try to make sure that I'm on their level with where they are so that it, the message gets through. Yeah. As the survivor, you're very protective of your lost loved one. And Mm -hmm. the kindest thing you can do is to speak kindly of the person that is gone, I think, and choosing those words carefully and definitely not saying they're going to hell because that is absolutely (laughs) the most insensitive and wrong thing that you can say. Oh my gosh, Claire, let me clarify that. You have to remember where I live. (laughs) Yes, you are in the Bible belt. (laughs) I'm in the Bible belt. I'm in the deep South. Um, People are very entrenched in their beliefs on subjects like this, that, uh, they, there's no pass go. Um, there's no collect $200. There is, you just go to, you just go to hell if you commit suicide. So I think that that is one of the reasons not to just, you know, drag religion into this, but Mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons my faith is so strong with the, the faith and, and the doctrine that, that we have Um, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it is drastically different, especially when you're here in this climate and um, everyone around you at the funeral is just falling to pieces. People say they have this belief in an afterlife, but the truth is we can be sad. Absolutely. We can fall apart. It's taken me several years to get to where I am to be able to speak about this even but you can definitely see the difference in people who really truly believe in afterlife and a kind and forgiving and loving heavenly father in Jesus Christ as compared to those who believe that the fire and brimstone type of religions that are we are surrounded with here in the deep south exactly yeah. i think it's and an really important to share that piece because, and i think a lot of people also deal with that to varying levels and degrees and so as you mentioned like it can be incredibly dicey when it comes to religion faith and suicide and there are lots of different opinions across the spectrum um and i really liked what you said how the differences in, in how, when you're faced with trauma, when you're faced with a heartbreaking situation and loss like this, that it really does get down to the core of your beliefs of, yes. And one of the things that I heard today while I was at church that I really loved was the difference between believing in Christ and the difference of believing Christ. And (laughs) how really when we are faced with these incredibly difficult experiences, it it puts our faith to the test. One thing that you said, I remember in a conversation I had with you was that 
as you've mentioned, like many were quick to say that Abram was going to hell as a result of his choice to kill himself. And your response was, is he is of course not absolved from the consequences of his choices, but really you think he's going to hell? Well, then what is hell? Because in my opinion, he has already lived it. And that was super, super powerful statement. Um, and I would love for you to talk more about that and a little bit about Abram's experience. I, I know it's really hard with a lot of the times there isn't an explanation when it comes to right. suicide. We right. don't know all the details, well, um, but I, not, I would love for you to talk more about that. Yeah. Not, I wasn't trying to interrupt, but, but there is always an explanation. It's just that we don't always know. Um, we don't always get to know. I think that is part of the trial that those of us who are left behind are, are faced with sometimes. I think that's part of what our um, journey in life is to, is to learn about. But um, as far as a synopsis for Abram, his father and I were married for 15 years. His father was an alcoholic. He was a very angry person for many years. He didn't start off that way, but he became a very angry person who then started taking that out on the family and it started small and didn't even realize um, that we were falling into this pattern of abuse. I have always thought of myself as boom, strong, independent lady. And all of a sudden, um, after so many years, I was using all the strength I had to try and save my marriage because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. When in actuality, it had reached a point where it was time to get out and save myself and my children. Abram used to always say that even if I had gotten remarried, spoiler, I did later, um, but that he would keep his last name because he was going to change the legacy of the last name that he carried and I always thought um at the time I thought wow that's a pretty powerful statement but it was only a couple of months before he passed away that he shared with me that he didn't necessarily mean that he was going to change the world using that last name but it was more of a this was the first time that he had uh, let me know that he was having more trouble than I knew mm -hmm. that um, he was possibly in need of therapy at the very least. After the divorce, which was very hard on him, I started to hear the kids tell stories about how when um, my ex-husband and I had been fighting, um, they would hide in the closet and my daughter would, my daughter, Charlie girl, she would um, tell Abram stories or let him know it was going to be okay. And my oldest son, he always was the protector. So he'd be out there trying to protect me and that would cause even more stress for them. And I had no idea the effect that it was actually having on, on my children in this way. So I think this is where, this is where I need to explain where I felt my own personal indoctrination <laughs> comes into play. I had been told my whole life that when you get married, you're married. 
you do what it takes to make it work. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you go through. It doesn't matter if you have a spouse who cheats. It doesn't matter if you have a spouse who abuses substances. You make it work because marriage is marriage. And uh, that was the generation I was raised by. That's the things that they told you. If you went to them, if you went to grandma or your mom for advice, it was everybody goes through things. You just choose which hard things you're going to go through. So, so I truly believe that fighting for my marriage was the right thing to do until in hindsight's 2020 until after the divorce. And I hear all these stories from the kids and I finally realized just how much of an impact it had, especially on Abram because he was the youngest at the time. And so moving beyond, we moved, we moved out, we started a life of our own we were you know doing things going places we had some freedom that we had never had before and a a while later I started dating and got into a serious relationship and and um, we all thought oh this is wonderful this is great we had plans to get married we were um doing things together with the kids together all the time we I mean the whole shebang and when it fell apart it was devastating it was a devastating blow for all of us we just wondered as a family as a group we would sit in the car we talked all the time the kids and I are always been very open and we sat in the car and we just talked about are we that hard to love we're an amazing family with amazing talents and and wonderful personalities and so much to give, why doesn't anybody want us? Hmm. Why can't they fight for us? You know, again, single mom with kids and we're doing our thing. And I'm so thankful for the young men's group, the youth group that our, our church offers because if it weren't for them there's so many things that my boys wouldn't have learned how to do I'm so forever grateful because I feel like they helped carry the whole family through and this is around the time when Abram decided that you know he had always talked about flying in airplanes he wanted to be a pilot and uh he was in soccer he absolutely loved soccer he was fearless he was a goalie and uh you know things got by him but he would I mean he was just fearless he would go after anything and even if he thought he wasn't going to be able to do it he would give it his all and go for it and sometimes he would make that amazing play because he went for it and then the headaches began um he started having these terrible headaches he started having what we believed at the time were sinus issues, constant sinus issues. And we went through the whole thing, trying to test for allergies. We had cats, we had two dogs. We were trying to see, you know, okay, is he allergic to the cats? Is he allergic? What's going on, you know? Um, And so we could not find any allergies. We started the doctor after several tests that we could do locally started sending us to children's hospital for testing sent us to Birmingham Huntsville cardiologists um yeah cardiologists for headaches like I I didn't understand at the time you know what we were looking for what was going on and 
Um, we went to neurologists. We went, we were, I mean, CAT scans, MRIs. We couldn't find any answers. The headaches were debilitating at times. He couldn't get up. He couldn't move. He would just lay there and crying, um, as we all know, gives you sinus pressure. So it's not helpful when you have a headache. We, I mean, we were every two weeks at a new doctor, at a new place, trying to find out what was, what was happening. And then he started um, passing out. He would be walking through the house. And um, for example, one day I had just left the house and Charlie called me, she was frantic. Mom, Abram just passed out, hit the floor, had some kind of seizure, he's bleeding, I don't know what's going on, can you please come home? So immediately turned around and rushed back home. And Abram has come too at this point, but his entire face is red, he's bleeding from underneath his chin, he's just got this giant two inch gash, just bleeding everywhere. Um, and he's shaking, he's terrified, he's terrified. He has no idea why his body is doing this. Yeah, It's a new symptom on top of what he's already going through. That was one of the, the first times that I was actually really scared with what was happening with him. And instead of going to any of the local hospitals, I just immediately put him in the vehicle and we drove an hour to the children's hospital, see if we could find out really what more is going on. Something is happening. What is happening? When this started, the doctors who very rarely agree on anything agreed that Abram couldn't fly. You can't fly if the cabin pressure is going to give you headaches when you're already suffering from debilitating headaches. And you can't fly, you're going to pass out. And they also put him out of soccer because um, they were worried about blows to the head. They were worried about what other health effects it would have. So, so the two things that he absolutely loved were gone. And he was suffering in pain every single day. The day that he died, he was feeling a little bit better. We still had no answers at this point, but we were all outside and we were raking leaves, doing family cleanup chores outside in the yard. And uh, he was being a snot. I was so mad. <laughs> he was being a 14 year old teenage boy who did not want to rake leaves. And I, was so frustrated. I was frustrated with work. I was frustrated with trying to keep the yard clean. I was frustrated with what was going on with Abram's health. I was frustrated with trying to raise four children. I just was at a point where I was just extremely frustrated. And I could tell that we were all kind of in the same mood. So I should have just called it off. I should have just called it off and we should have just gone inside and watched a movie. But I was determined we had to get this done. And uh, I didn't follow my gut. So point number one, always follow your gut. 
whether it's your actual gut reaction or the spirit talking to you, those two are hard to distinguish between the two sometimes, but I'm telling you always follow your gut. We ended up, all of us just getting into it. I mean, an all out <laughs> brawl between me, my oldest, my daughter and Abram, my youngest, he, I mean, he was too young, but he was just like looking at all of us, like, what is going on? Who are these people? <laughs> and Abram said something and it pierced my heart so hard. And I just looked at him and I was like, oh, and my words were, why do you have to make everything so hard? Those were my words to my 14-year-old son in the backyard that day. Immediately, when it was out of my mouth, I regretted it immediately. The look he gave me when I said it, I knew from the bottom of my heart that this would be something that he would remember for a lifetime. That this was one of those core memories, <laughs> if you follow Disney movies, um, that would be one of the things that he would use later as an adult that would be one of those voices in his head that he would use. And I regretted it immediately and uh, I walked up to him and I told him I said I know that you don't want to hug but I, I have to hug you I have to tell you I'm sorry and I I am sorry and and I did that and then I turned around and I dropped my rake and I told everybody do the same we're done we're done there's no reason we should be out here doing this if this is how if this is what's happening and so we left and we went inside and we were in the kitchen and I was starting on the dishes and Abram came up behind me and he wrapped his arms around me and he picked me up and he spun me around and he sat me down and uh, I laughed. I laughed. I just, he was always, he was always my joy child. We always were this is who we were we were together our conversation went something like hey you know I'm again I'm really sorry about what I said outside and I just need you to know that you are not a burden that you don't make everything hard um I'm just frustrated and how about we all just go to the store let's go to the store we'll get some snacks we'll get something and we'll make something for dinner and we'll get some snacks and um asher and charlie were immediately yeah let's do that and he was like ah you know that's okay you guys go ahead and i'm gonna finish these dishes and i was like are you sure like you could go pick out anything you want you know like and i'm not i wasn't trying to you know buy them off um, right. we, that's how it always was and are you sure you, what do you want I'll pick it out for you no nah, I'm pretty I'm good I'm good I don't need anything I said well all right and Asher and Charlie went ahead and went out to the car and they took Ammon with them and got him buckled and I uh, grabbed my keys and grabbed my wallet 
and I started walking out the door and I turned around and I said, I love you, Abram. And he said, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, I said, I love you, Abram. And he said, I know, mom, I love you too. And I said, okay, we'll be back in just a minute. And so I closed the door, we got in the car, I got in the car, we drove to Dollar General, I bought some stuff to make some potato soup, and then we realized that Abram's favorite ice cream, the Sour Patch Kids ice cream, was like three for five dollars or something, and so we took the extra time to go and get those because we had already checked out, and then Asher was like, no, mom, look, the ice cream, let's get Abram an ice cream, let's get those three. I said, okay, go get it. We got the ice cream and we were gone for 35 minutes. And when we pulled up into the driveway, um, my husband, um, Shannon, who is my new husband, was running through the yard, screaming, um, Abrams shot himself and I couldn't understand because my you have to understand um, my husband is very southern <laughs> I have a southern accent but I don't speak country <laughs> and so my husband his exact words were Abrams shot himself and I thought that he meant that Abram had been stung by a wasp because Abram had just recently become allergic to wasp stings and had to have his EpiPen um, if he got stung. And so I yelled at Charlie, go get his EpiPen. And I'm running through the yard to see where Abram is. And Shannon says, no, Abram's shot himself. And so I looked down at the pants I'm wearing to see if I have a belt because I thought, okay, I'm going to need to be able to make a tourniquet. It never occurred to me during this time that, that what he meant was that Abram had killed himself because Abram was he was the best shot in the house. He won all the turkey shoots. We've always had guns. They've never, they've, you know, the kids have always been responsible. I've always raised them around guns. It's just something that it, it's very common here in the South. You teach them to hunt. We have a farm. You have, you know, I mean, there's, there, there's always guns. And, uh, so when he said that and it finally clicked that, okay, so Abram had shot himself. I thought, well, he's going to need a tourniquet if he, and I'm thinking the whole way up to the porch, well, holy cow, like how do he shoot himself in the foot? Or like, did he shoot himself in the hand? Like, was he cleaning the gun? What happened? And, and I'm thinking, has anybody called 911? Like what's going on? And, and um, as soon as, I, and then I yelled to Charlie girl and said, okay, don't get the EpiPen, get towels. I'm going to need stuff to stop bleeding. I'm going to need, you know, 
get those types of supplies. I don't even remember what all I said, but I gave her a list and I was just shooting it off. And uh, as soon as I opened the door and walked into the apartment, we had a house and behind it, there's an apartment. Um, as soon as I walked in, I could smell the copper. And I knew immediately that this was something much bigger than what I had envisioned in my head. And when I walked into the bedroom where he was, um, his body was still going through the agonal breathing. And I could tell that there was no saving him. My husband, after a year, finally told me that he felt guilty when he had found Abram he heard the shot and he found him and he had to leave him to go get his phone to call 911 and that's when we pulled up um so we got there almost immediately and uh but he had felt guilty for leaving him because he thought that since Abram was still breathing that there was still a chance to save Abram and that in leaving him he had sentenced him to die rather than it being a positive thing that he was going to get the phone to call for help. Um, and that's when I realized that he really didn't know or realize what he had walked into when he walked into the room and that there, Abram knew exactly what he was doing. There was no saving him. He made sure of it. He knew exactly what gun to use. He knew exactly what ammunition to use. And um, he, uh, he had sent one text to his um, very best friends um, telling them thank you and that he loved them. And he had carved with a knife into the table beside where he had been sitting the words don't follow. And then he had pulled the trigger and then he was gone. When I got to him, I was so upset. I wasn't angry, but people ask me all the time now, do you know, did he ever get a diagnosis? Do you know what happened? And the answer is, well, no, because I, and oh, again, I'm sorry for the, the vulgar language here, but um, tell people and say, hey, can you tell me what was wrong with my son now? Um, so no, no, there was no diagnosis. The closest thing we have is that the doctors have guesstimates. They think maybe that he had too much synovial fluid production and that it was causing pressure in his head and um, that's why his nose was running all the time. They had treated him twice for sinus infections, which he did not have um, because, but they thought that he had due to the fact that his nose would run constantly. And so based on those things, that's their best guess. But the truth is he had all those things going on. He had headaches. He had things that he loved taken away from him. But the absolute honest to goodness truth is my 14 year old boy 
was going through a really hard time in life. And on that day, he had hit a wall and I had said some words that could never be taken back. He made the choice to kill himself. And I know now through several years of therapy that I am not at fault per se, but if we don't take honest responsibility for our words and what they do to others, most especially in a situation that ends like this, then, then we're a lost society because that's what bullying is. Bullying is words. It's not just fists and people beating up kids at school. It's words. It's words written on a screen. It's words that make somebody else feel useless, hopeless, hopelessness. So that's my less than brief synopsis of Abram. And where the trauma started and where the trauma ended for him. Thank it was you. so powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story in such an eloquent way, being so vulnerable and honest. That's, I, I can't imagine how difficult your therapy sessions are and <laughs> some of your in day-to-day of these past few years um, navigating your survivor's guilt and mm-hmm. um, your relationships with him and with your other children um, but I am sure you have grown to become a more refined version of yourself and that all of those that are touched by you and Abram and your other family members are better people for being near you and learning from all of you. So thank you. I think something that um, you said that is really powerful and really important that I think I think a lot of people will struggle. I I find it interesting that you talk about this Facebook group and the survivors of suicide and how really it is about the people who are are left behind and, um, and how it has caused you to reflect on your own behavior and your own words. And, um, I think that's ultimately how we can prevent this from happening Yes, is by being aware of how our words and our behavior and how our choices impact others and how that plays into how we teach our children, how we just interact with society as a whole. I'm curious to know how you have navigated. I mean, it sounds like therapy has been a huge help to you and helping you to navigate your survivor guilt and coming to terms with this traumatic event. Um, But how else have you been able to navigate that and (laughs) move forward? But I got to tell it like it, like it is. Um, So uh, the first night I knelt there with him, 
I knelt there with him. I actually wrote a piece. Um, and if you blog, want, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. I was gonna say I actually wrote a piece about it that uh, that was my heart and soul ripped out, just laid bare for everybody. Uh, if you want to share that yeah. with this, you may. I knelt there with him. Was what felt like the most holy place. Um, death is scary. None of us, I think, are quite comfortable with the thought of death. Sure. <laughs> for, I mean, it's, you know, for ourselves, you know. Um, yeah. But I, I sat there. I sat there and with my baby boy, he was. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Abram was. Abram was beautiful. Abram was every mother's dream boy. He always helped others. Um, at his funeral, we had over 200 people. And uh, I can't even tell you how many people came up to me to tell me stories that I hadn't heard about him before. And they all had to do with him holding the door open for someone or opening the umbrella for someone or or this lady comes up to me and she told me and I just can't even she told me how none of the kids see her anymore that she has reached an age where she's an old lady but that Abram always looked her in the eye and spoke with her and that she felt seen and because of that she also felt loved and considered so as far as navigating the first night I couldn't let any of my children out of my sight I couldn't I pulled the mattress off the bed in the bedroom and I dragged it into the living room and uh I got Asher and Charlie and Ammon and we piled up like a bunch of puppies and we slept on that mattress, cuddled up together. I don't know if any of us really slept. I, I just remember groaning a lot and uh, sometimes saying out loud, um, oh, my baby, I couldn't, I couldn't stop saying I couldn't stop saying, oh, my baby. But I don't think I would have made it through that night without my children. <laughs> um, and we slept that way for a week. And I mean, you, you guys, I guess, I guess you need to remember that at this time, um, Asher was a grown man. <laughs> he had a job. And he had moved out and had a place and was renting. And, you know, Charlie Girl was 18 at the time. And, and I mean, you know, grown kids. And I didn't care. I didn't care. I needed them next to me. And so just like when they were little babies, I... I cuddled them in my arms. After the first week, I threw myself into planning his memorial. And that was how I navigated the next part was I threw myself into 
how can I help others? Because so many people had talked about my son, who was 14 years old, who'd never even kissed a girl, who every person who spoke to me about him told me specific stories of him being so helpful, not just these, you know, you hear it all the time. Oh, that person was so wonderful. And oh, this person was so nice. That was their personality. Specific stories of, of who he was. That child gets to go to hell. To me, what he had already lived through was hell. I can't imagine because I myself have never, I've been depressed. Let me say that. But I've never been suicidal. I've never had those feelings. And so I can't imagine what it must be like to live this war, battle after battle. Because that's what it is. It's, it's, it's each battle that you overcome is a win. But that doesn't mean that the war is over. Being in a place like that mentally I can't imagine people who, who suffer and deal with suicidal ideations on a daily basis. You know, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. And that makes our words even more important in that aspect. But I wanted to be able to make people see using Abrams Memorial that these people aren't just statistics. They're not just, they're not just these people that can be discarded because so many people, and it's so sad to me because Abram was, is the perfect poster child to use as the face of suicide if you want to reach people. He was homeschooled. He had wonderful friends. We had been through a lot in life, but we had overcome it. I had just gotten remarried. We had nice houses. I, I, I mean, multiple. We had a house in the city and a house in the country. You know, we had all the toys that a boy could want, horses, four-wheelers. I mean, he he had, as what most people would say, he had it all, you know. But for so many people, they're drug addicts or they're transsexual or they are army vets who are homeless. And these are the people that people feel, who cares if they committed suicide? Like they're not real. They don't live in my city. They're not my neighbor. That's like, I mean, that is it. Are these even real stories? And so what? They're, you know, I mean, they shouldn't live that lifestyle. They're going to hell. And Abram was the perfect opportunity to say, no, they're all human. And they're all deserving of love. Every single person is deserving of love. And so I threw myself into that cause. I threw myself into, we have 11 acres here and I decorated 
every single bit of it with Christmas lights and tool. And I went to the uh, survivors groups that I'm a, a part of. And I asked, I posted and asked if um, anybody wanted to share pictures of their loved ones that I could hang up at his memorial so that people could see the faces of, of, of suicide. They could see these people. And, and of course, you know, what you see, if it's a newspaper article, is the worst side of it and the worst story of it. But their loved ones sent pictures of them holding grandchildren and um, getting married and buying a new puppy. And they sent pictures of these people that showed their love. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And so I set up this uh, curtain made out of tulle between two trees. And in order to enter the trail that led you down the path to Abram's portrait and then around the corner to what I decorated as the tree of life, just full of lights and all the food that we were gonna eat was under it and, and everything you had to enter through this tool and beyond this tool were all uh, hundreds of pictures. They sent me hundreds of pictures, you guys. <laughs> I had over 300 pictures that people sent me of their loved ones. And I was able to hang them all up with white Christmas lights all around it. And to me, the point was, and I explained it when um, everybody had gone through the path and gotten to the tree and we had the stage set up, I got up there and I explained that to go on that journey, everybody first had to pass through the veil. And what did you see when you first passed through the veil? you saw people, you saw, you didn't know who they were. You didn't know what they had done. You didn't know what they had lived through, but they were there. And I explained that they were all suicides. Over 300 people that they had looked at were all suicides and that they still were beyond the veil on the same path that we're all on. I threw myself into this so much so that I really didn't do a lot of internal healing during that time. And it wasn't until about a year ago that I discovered that I was not in the best shape and uh, that I needed to attend therapy because the person I was turning into was not anybody I wanted to be. I was angry. I wasn't angry at God. Wasn't angry at Abram. I just was angry at people all the time. And uh, I realized that I was on the path to becoming bitter. And uh, bitterness is not where I want to be. Bitterness is cold. It's, it's lonely. It's ugly. It's and lonely is okay because I, I, I like being alone, but uh, not in bitterness.
you you cannot live in bitterness and love mankind and you cannot do anything helpful for this world if you're walking around with disdain for God's children and so that's where I am now I guess is rediscovering who am I and who do I want to be I I am a mother to four children and that beyond everything in life is the most important to me I'm also the mother of a 14 year old boy who committed suicide but that's not that's not all that I am that's not um that's part of my journey but that's his journey that's also not all of Abram's journey either like that doesn't define no absolutely not absolutely not it does not define him but I couldn't even in my bitterness I couldn't even explain that I had to redefine who I was because there's so much stigma attached to suicide that that is exactly how Abram is seen in so many ways is exactly how you were saying that that's not that's not that doesn't define his journey but for so many people who did did not know him personally um that is you know his signature and it has put a quote-unquote mark on our family um such as I've had people give me comments about um how dare I try to give them advice on parenting my child killed himself awful I never thought that that people would say things such as that not to your face maybe I thought that they would say them but then they would like you know right I'm but I'm serious like the the comment about parenting really hurt because it was it was something that one person said to me but the look in their eyes echoed in other people's eyes I could see it Mm -hmm. and uh after having lived years and years because even in my marriage, let's face it, even in my previous marriage, um, I was a single mom. And uh, even though I didn't make the correct choice to get out of the marriage previous to the abuse, um, I was a, I was, a, I was a, um, I was a fantastic mom. I, it, that's what I lived for. And in my single days, I was fantastic mom I after my divorce I dated three people (laughs) you know three before I found a wonderful man and got married again my children have always come first for me and so it really was devastating that all of a sudden the church mommy groups I wasn't in that anymore it was at church it was socially it was within my own family our life must be so terrible if my son wanted to kill himself I must not, I must be a terrible mom. Um, I must, uh, I mean, I must be doing drugs. That was one of the assumptions that I had brought to my attention. It must be um, 
abuse. It must be, I mean, there are so many things. Suicide brings about this stigma and the stigma I believe is caused because even though I said earlier, there is always a reason behind it. We don't always know the reason. And so that leaves speculation and that leaves room open for people to say, oh, it must have been something you guys did wrong. Yeah. Not, hey, somebody is really going through a rough time and they also have a mental illness. And they also have agency and they have a choice. Yes. Yes. And I think that was something you and I spoke about a lot. I think something so powerful about you being willing to open and share your story. And as you've been talking, I've just been thinking of the cyclical nature of trauma and just experiences that we have and how life is our and our experiences are our greatest teachers. And one thing that I think is so beautiful is that going back to something that you said at the very beginning about how Abram wanted to keep his last name because he wanted the legacy to change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something good that comes out of this horrible situation is that his name is reclaimed. Your space is reclaimed. Your memories are reclaimed. Your child is reclaimed. And the way that you've been able to do that is through the memorial. I think that is such a beautiful depiction of that, of being able to tell his story, show people how beauty truly can rise from ashes and that's how you've been able to reclaim your space, the space where you experienced an incredibly traumatic event. That's how you've been able to reclaim your memories and find joy. That's how you've been able to reclaim Abram and the legacy that he has left and what a beautiful legacy that is. And so we are so tremendously grateful that you have been so vulnerable and so open in sharing this. And I know that this is going to help so many others who are facing suicidal ideation, whether that's themselves or whether they know that that's happening in one of their loved ones, someone who is dealing with the loss of a loved one, um, someone who might have also be experiencing survivor guilt I think there's so much beauty that comes from this experience. And I'm just grateful that you've been willing to share it with us. I'm really um, thankful to be able to share with others that the pain, it will never, it, it doesn't go away. The pain does not leave. The Jesus knew that he was going to resurrect Lazarus, and yet he still. He still wept the pain of losing a loved one and especially through suicide. It's unimaginable where it puts you, but I have found, and I had to, I had to consciously do this. This is, this is, if you do not consciously 
say to yourself, I have to do something other than wallow in this, or I have to do something other than let this make me bitter, then you will follow those paths. You will. You have to consciously not go there. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you start to find that giving joy to others is one of the greatest blessings you can receive on this earth and if I had not made a conscious decision to step out of the bitterness and to start doing the, the fair the petting zoo at the fair every single child that I gave a pony ride to their smiles so many of them, it was the first time they had ever been on a pony. So many of them, they were, I mean, they were just in awe of the lights at the fair. Like it, it was truly giving joy and helping to create good core memories in others. But if you do not consciously make the decision, you, you won't heal. You won't get there. And uh, I know this because I fell in it and because I watch in the suicide support groups how so many get stuck in the quagmire and they can't heal and they can't grow and they can't see joy in anything in life anymore. It's like their entire life is ashes now, just ashes. And I know I keep repeating that, but it's, it's a key thing because we all have free agency and you have to choose it. Absolutely. So I appreciate you letting me talk about Abram and his story, our story, our family's story. And uh, I just hope, I just hope that somebody out there, if just one person hears this and says, you know, I know that we've been struggling with homework tonight, but math is stupid so <laughs> so maybe just maybe instead of being frustrated and us yelling and end up crying at the table maybe we could just push it aside for a minute because is it really that important to get it right is it really worth your child's mental health it's and that's not one, that's not an experience I'm pulling up from, from mine and Abram's experiences. That's my, my very own childhood. That was one of the things I remember from my childhood is math was so hard for me. And there would be a screaming match over homework. And now after losing Abram and after all this life, I'm 42 years old and I have four children. Two are grown one is waiting for me beyond the veil and the other one just turned five and I don't care if the laundry gets done if we have clean clothes fine if it's sitting in a pile and it's clean on that couch and it's not folded and put away I don't care because I'm gonna go play army men with Ammon if 
I have an opportunity to host the fair for the week. And it means my whole entire house gets trashed for the week that I'm supposed to have an appraisal on my house. I'm not going to feel ashamed for the mess in my house when the appraiser comes, because I'm going to be remembering every single one of those smiles. Now, those are the things that are important. Not if we got the right answer on the math test, because I guarantee you, your kid is going to learn at the level that they learn, no matter what, they're going to get where they need to be. People stress over potty training. New mommies are like, oh my gosh, my child's like three and we're not potty trained. And I had one potty train at two. I had one potty train at three. I had one potty train at four. But you know what? Every single one of them were potty trained by the time they went to, when we did public school, every single one of them, they, they were done by the time they went to school, you know, on their own. So why are we stressing it? Why are we causing grief? Why are we using our words to discredit our children and make them feel terrible about it? There's no point. And that, but that's what I did that day. That's what I did that day. So if one person hears this, and they say, okay, this math problem is, dude, look, it'll come to you. You will get this. And even if you fail your next test, so what? So what? We'll work on this. And I'm really proud of you for holding the door open at church for so-and-so. And, or I'm really glad that um i got to spend this time at the table with you tonight because i haven't seen you all this week J just change that one little thing than going through the the heartache of reliving the moment for the podcast will have been completely completely worth it jolene as i mentioned you are a fearless advocate and creator of light and truth and joy and I already know that I have been impacted by your words I know Kara has from watching her cry I've cried together <laughs> um, so we already know that this has certainly changed both of us and it, it just it comes so timely because I had an experience last night where I, my two-year-old all day by myself, I was so impatient. I just, as you said, like at the end, like I was just letting the little things make me frustrated. I was quick to lose my cool and raise my voice and just felt like a horrible mom. By the end of the day, I just bawled and bawled and bawled to Luke and so this is just a timely reminder for me of just live in the moment. It's the extraordinary ordinary. And yes. what matters the most is seeing your child, being present with your child, loving them and for where they are. Yeah. 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 For where they are, because it, we get so caught up in they're supposed to be in this grade and they're supposed to be with everybody doing zoom for school last year. Um, I've heard over and over and over and over and over and over again in, in the news and the media and the, 
um, social media, in person, people talk about, oh, this kid, these kids are so behind over here and this kid's behind over there. And I'm thinking behind what? The social norm? Like stop telling them that they're behind because they don't feel like they're behind until you tell them that. So if we get rid of those expectations of what society thinks we should be doing at a certain time, then it's easier to live in the moment. Yeah. I think, I think that's what I was trying to say with the potty training thing is. Yeah. Don't stress it. I don't care if they're four and still wearing pull-ups. It, it will happen when it happens. And I think it'll be easier to do that with your own children when you can do that with yourself, when you can be okay and love yourself where you currently are. Exactly. But please don't let it take something that's traumatic to put you there. Learn from me because I, I, I don't, if I could make it where no one else in the entire world and no mother ever had to feel this and I wasn't a bad mom before I had bad moments and this is one that I can't take back but I could make it where no other mother had to feel this in a heartbeat I would do this a thousand times again and again and again so that nobody else would have to thank you again Um, we will provide contact information for Jolene if you have questions or I just want to thank her for her courage and her her loveliness Um, and we will also link her blog so that if you want to read more about her experiences um, you'll be able to find the blog post that she mentioned we have focused a lot today on the love of our our children and so what better way to end this episode than by sharing funny stories that came out of the mouth of our babes because there is so much love for these babies so Kara, do you have one from that you'd like yes okay so we went to chick-fil-a the other day and um my husband took our littlest parker uh to the bathroom because they, my kids always have to poop when we go to restaurants <laughs> every time <laughs> without fail. Uh, and Parker's a talker and he's telling my husband, he's explaining in very, a lot of detail. He's, he's six. He's explained the difference between squids and octopuses and they've been in there a while. And so my husband's like, okay, buddy, quit talking and hurry. And he goes, I can't. You know how long it takes the body to do its thing? And pooping just takes a really long time. And it's, he had a sandwich waiting for him. Wanted to get out of there. I can't. Potty talk for you. Jolene, do you have a, a story that came out of the mouth of one of your babes? Mm, I do, but you might have to edit it. (laughs) It's fine. We'll just put an explicit note that says this episode is explicit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, 
Well, okay, so Ammon, Ammon is like, since he was four, he just turned five, and he's like really good at video games. He really loves it. And he's been playing Fortnite, and he has headphones, and kids cuss, you know, and, and I know this, he's been exposed to it, and I, 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 I'm really bad about if I stub my toe or something. I'm a very angry st- toe stubber and I'll say <laughs> something that I probably shouldn't. So my husband, he does Guilty. not, he does not curse at all. My husband is like, he does not say he, I mean, he doesn't even say crap or something, you know I mean? He is just so <laughs> clean cut in this area. So we, we were going somewhere and he, Ammon had his tablet and he was playing games and, and stuff. And we hit a dead zone. And all of a sudden he says, holy shit, crackers. <laughs> I looked at Shannon and Shannon looked at me and I was like, what did he just say? And he said, uh-uh, he got that from you. <laughs> oh no. So I told Ammon, I said, Ammon, babe, I said, that." you know, you can't say that. That's, that's a bad word. He said, crackers. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, how do I tell him without saying the word again, you know? And so I was like, what do I do? And so I looked at Shannon and he said, "Uh uh-uh, this one's yours. So apparently since I made my mess, I had to clean it up, but he was totally like, holy bleep crackers. And I was like, where has he ever even heard that? <laughs> yeah, there's mine for today. Like, oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. I love this. I think why cracker though? Like of all know. the extra words, why cracker? Why cracker? <laughs> And oh. I love that he thought that was the bad word. Uh, yeah, well, he crackers? did. He he like, crackers? <laughs> no, babe. No, no. Oh, man. Okay. The other one. Yeah. yeah. That, that other. Holy? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sandwich. Sandwich right in there. Oh, that's hilarious. So uh, I'm waiting for the day when Sawyer will, well, she has started repeating back a lot of things where I'm like, oh my gosh, you're really starting to pay attention. Like we went to story time this past week and they sang a song that I had never heard. She had never heard. And today she's in the kitchen and she's singing this song. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how does she know that song? I, I don't even know that song. So I walk out there and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the song from story time. And she remembered that. And we sang it one time. I'm like, oh no, I really need to like start <laughs> being more conscious. But it was funny because when we were in Indiana visiting my parents and my sister, she has a cousin who's nine and she would say like, what the heck all the time. And so one of the, these days, Sawyer started like saying like, what the heck you what the heck you? <laughs> I'm like, where did you get that? Uh, it was from Lily. Thank you, Lily. Oh, <laughs> uh, I taught my kids like freaking way too young. This freaking thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm feeling you on that one. 
Oh, in there, there, there's a little boy on the bus that uses the F word, but they can't quite understand what he's saying. So they keep, they'll come home and be like, yeah, I know what the real bad F word is. Fluck. Yeah. I'm like, that's not it, but (laughs) that's too close. (laughs) We can't say that here. Yeah. (laughs) Just say some flips and freakings. Okay, guys, that's fine. On the heels of this whole conversation, I had discussed with Ammon about not saying words that we consider um, inappropriate, you know, not so much so bad words or what we, you know, just trying to, just trying to go with the flow of parenting now, how it's, you know, hey, we shouldn't say that in these circumstances. Why don't we pick a different word, you know? And so, and so, but he comes up with these things. And the next thing I know is like, holy bleep crackers. And I was like, <laughs> okay, so glad we were in the car, like, and alone. Yeah, not in the Kroger. And he's not like, <laughs> the Winn-Dixie or Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. Because it sounded so legit too. It sounded like it was something he says all the time. You know, he sounded like, he used it so well it was just like boom and I was like okay what that's not even something I say I love when little especially like babies like toddlers say curse words like there's a YouTube video of like a really little kid saying what the hell what the hell don't and the mom's like don't say that what the hell stop saying that what the hell like gets me every time (laughs) babies say cuss words (laughs) well that's why i try not to say hey that's a bad word because you know that that makes it cool right yeah exactly instead of saying like uh the d-bag word Uh he'll say oh you juice box (laughs) (laughs) okay i just thought of it you could start a book and call it kindergarten curses and (laughs) all his creative swears oh i love it that's pretty good you should trademark that trademark that i got it you guys for having me here is an adventure i didn't know i didn't know if i was quite ready to do all this and and thanks for the push thanks for doing it it's it was a real just learning experience for us and I know it will be for our listeners and a real joy because you are a powerhouse woman and we can all learn from you and your experiences so thanks for sharing